Okay. There was a clue in that prayer as to what we're going to talk about this morning. Did anybody pick it up? Oh, hey, good guess. The return of Jesus Christ. First, I want to say, I want to make a few comments. I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is a very dark and divided place. But in these walls, in the assembly of the church, the called out people, we have been brought into a place where we don't need to live in darkness. We don't need to live in despair. We don't need to live in hopelessness. Guys, we are the group of people that have been, have been invited to come in fellowship with Jesus, the living Lord who rose from the dead, whose resurrection power is offered to us. But we got to tap into it. The way we do that is not by playing religion, not by going to church, checking in, checking the boxes. No, the way we plug into that is by submitting our life and saying, Lord, fill me. Lord, take your truth and make it live out in me. Lord, my life, I'm hurt. I'm busted. Here I am, Lord. Put me back together the way you want me to be. And one of the things that the church needs, when I say the church, I mean the universal church, that we need to remember is that this isn't all there is, and Jesus Christ is coming back. Now, wait a minute, Mick. They've been saying that for 2,000 years. Well, I got news for you. We're 2,000 years closer to the return of Jesus. But our world is dark and divided. Just look at the political ads that that preface the the election coming up. I've got Arizona TV, and, and oh, my goodness. You know, somebody's being vilified because they believe that abortion is wrong. And over and over and over. And it's like, I am glad that I don't watch anything live. I record it, and then I fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Because the only thing you don't want to fast forward through is the truth and the word of God. Okay? This is for you. Are you ready to chew on it this morning? Are you ready to kind of take it in? All right. As we move in our study of the Gospel of Mark, we're in chapter 13. Chapter 13, if you have subtitles, paragraph titles in your Bible, in your version, it might read something like things to come. When you start at verse 24, it might read something like the return of Christ. It's important that we live today, not with our mind totally out of the picture of today and thinking about tomorrow, we're thinking about the future, but we have to have a vision of what the future has. And I got news for you guys. Jesus is coming back. He said he was. And as we look in the book of Mark, the 13th chapter, there's two parts to it. We're going to go through the first part this morning, I believe. It's the first 13 verses. These, uh, they're the fervor, the flavor of the religious deception and the religious persecution that will lead up to the end times when Jesus Christ returns. And I want to let you know, guys, we're in high swing. We have, in the last years, we have amped that up. Not we, the church. The church is the target. 
Um, look at whoever you're sitting next to. Can you see the target on their chest? Can you see the target on their back? Because there is one. It's invisible. Don't be telling me you can see it. I'll say you're crazy. But there is an invisible target on the back of anyone who would say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. There is a spiritual target. Well, the first half of Matthew, or the first 13 verses of Mark, why did I say Matthew? Of Mark 13, they have to do with the general flavor, some, some things that happen in the earth that Jesus calls birth pangs that kind of show you. And how many of you women have given birth? Let me see. Wasn't that the most exciting time of your life? You would say, yeah, amidst the what? Pain. Thank you for being honest. Yeah. Exciting time. But did you notice that just before the birth came, the pain got worse? Uh Uh-huh. And the contractions got bigger? And it's like, get that thing out of here. And the, what Jesus lays out in answer to the apostles' question, in the first 13 verses, he lays out the different flavor of the world that will intensify toward the end. And then in verse 14 and beyond, specific prophetic words of Jesus related to the very last lapse before he comes in glory. We're going to see that the next time we're in this. But today... Just this middle or this this flavor section, you got to realize there is a movement that's going on that is unseen. You do realize that Jesus is coming back. I've already said that, right? Who can give me a verse that tells me that Jesus is coming back? From the Bible. Out loud today. Listen to this. Let me get my glasses. I want to get it right. John chapter 14. This is when Jesus has revealed to his disciples that he's going to go away. But then he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Hey, I'm leaving. You're not going to have me forever. I'm not going to be with you. Well, as we saw last Wednesday night in, um, in our Sea Life study, Jesus told them, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you another helper. And the word he used for, for another is another one just like me. So the helper, the Holy Spirit would be with you. He will be in you. He'll abide with you forever. And he's just like me because he's part of the unity of the one true God. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus Christ, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit actually has taken up his residence in you. Paul even writes to this carnal church in Corinth and he says, what, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Even this carnal church? Yeah. Any believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that's in part one reason why you can't have so much fun sinning now like you used to before you came to Jesus. Because now that the Holy Spirit is in you, when you get and you, like my friend says, when you flesh out and you sin... You no longer have the, have the joy that you used to have. You no longer have the, the jollies. What you do is you feel miserable. Would anybody say that's true? And it's like all these things that I used to do and they were so fun and I do it. And I thought, oh man, I feel so slimed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit loves making you miserable when you sin. Well, wait, wait, the Holy Spirit loves making me what? Yeah, he does. Because he wants to make you, gee, what's that word? It starts with H, it ends with Y. He wants to make you? Holy. 
Imagine that. The Holy Spirit wants to make you holy. What a concept. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going away. The Spirit's going to be in you. That's how you're going to commune with me. Holy Spirit in you. Don't let your heart be troubled. You're going to miss me. Don't let your heart be troubled. That means don't be bummed out. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house. I'm reading from John 14, verse 1. Did I say that? I don't remember. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Your version might say many mansions. You've got to realize Jesus was a carpenter. He was a construction worker. And if he's been away for 2,000 years building these mansions for us, these dwelling places, you've got to understand that they're going to be probably pretty darn nice. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. What's that place that you're going to have? What's it going to look like? Some people laugh when they think, of my sense of design back when I was in high school. As a senior in high school, my mom and dad let me decorate my room, my bedroom. It was all mine. They let me decorate it whatever colors, whatever I wanted to do. So I painted it bright orange with white and green checkered curtains. It was wonderful. I wonder what my dwelling place will be like in heaven. I don't know. You might think that's a lot closer to hell than it is heaven for me. But, you know, God's going to have something special for you. And he says, if I go, and I'm going to, if I go and prepare a place for you, here it comes, verse 3, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going away, but guess what? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Well, the disciples go back to Mark chapter 13. Go into Mark chapter 13. It says that as Jesus... Well, wait a minute. You do realize that even though Jesus is coming back, don't, do you also realize that we live today in a spiritual battle kind of a world that is invisible? Did you realize that there are demonic spirits that are at the beck and call of Satan, very well organized, Prince princes, principalities, powers of darkness. The scripture says, uh, and why don't even bother putting these up, but uh, Ephesians 6, 12, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That is a, an organizational term of an army. Principalities and powers and forces of darkness. We wrestle not against what we see, guys, behind every obstacle, behind every persecution, behind every hurt, There is a satanically inspired motive to try to wipe you out. Now, if you've come to Christ, I got really good news for you. He can't steal your salvation. He can't can't do something to you to make you not saved. But what he will certainly try to do is to bring you to a point where you are completely ineffective for the gospel. Where you live a carnal, defeated, hopeless life. That's what Satan's doing. How do I know? Well, because in 1 Peter 5, it says, 5, 8, it says, Peter, same guy that asked Jesus the question about when will these things happen. Same guy. He writes and he says, be on the alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a, what, a kitty cat? A roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is looking for you and your weakness that he can 
inspire a temptation through your flesh, through an outside source, that he can somehow bring you down. See, if you've come to Christ, the devil is not too jazzed about that. Do you understand that? He hates you. He hated you before you came to Christ because you're made in the image of God. He hates you. Even when you served him and you indulged yourself with the things and the pleasures of this world and even those who are Satan worshipers who worship false gods, guess what? He still hates them. And anything that he blesses them with is to further cause the deception that they would continue to follow a false god and a false, a false religion. He hates everyone who is created in the image of God because you remind him of the God who he rebelled against. And the reason why he got kicked out of heaven, the reason why he is going to be in eternal fire all of his existence. The Bible says that the lake of fire was reserved for the devil and his angels. It's got their name on it. But it also says that all who refuse to surrender their life to Jesus will one day share the fate with Satan in the lake of fire. Bummer. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ came to the earth, sacrificed himself on a cross so that your sin could be placed in his body. You could be completely forgiven, your guilt wiped away, and that you could be born again and your life made new. Is that good news? That's pretty cool. And there's a whole lot of people around this neighborhood. There's a whole lot of people in our city that don't understand that good news. Gee, I wish Jesus had somebody around here to tell them. And he, he does. Guess who it is? Yeah. All of you who have five fingers on your hand, raise your hand just a minute. And, okay, everybody, come on, come on, everybody. If you're raising your hand, then you're, who, who, who is called by God to go share the word? Your hand's still up? That's you. See, I tricked you to get your hand up. Now it's got to stay up. But he's called you to be the bearer of good news. You recognize that Satan is trying to destroy what God wants to build. Well, here we get the flavor, the flavor of the general signs when Jesus returns that would grow in intensity. Here we go. Verse, chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus was going out of the temple. Remember, this is just days before he dies. The next chapter goes into his arrest, his Passover, and the next chapter, his crucifixion and death. He's, he was going out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. You've got to realize, these disciples were acting like tourists in Jerusalem at the moment. Look at this temple. And you got to understand that this temple was a magnificent edifice. As a matter of fact, it is the biggest that it ever was. Because in 19 BC, King Herod decided that he was going to do something for the Jews that was going to forever indebt them to him. And he was a vassal of Rome. And so he's going to give them something. He took the temple and he began a construction project and a renewal project that lasted from 19 B.C. all the way to 63 A.D. And he took the size of the temple and he made it monstrous. And not only that, he made the outside so ornate. The temple at one point, the highest point was over 100 feet high. 
It sat on the hill, Temple Mount. You could see Josephus, first century historian, says you could see this temple, and it's in his, his language. He didn't use miles, but you could see this from 15 miles away. And when the sun shined on it, Herod built this thing so that he overlaid the outer walls with gold plating. And then there were other parts that were marble, bright white marble. And so Josephus says that if you stood, and his description, it amounts to about 10 to 15 miles. If you stood 15 miles away and looked and the sun was shining on this building, you would have to guard your eyes from it because it shone so brightly like the sun. He made this incredible edifice, bright, shining. First century historian said it looked like a mountain on fire with snow because of the white marble and the reflection of the sun. Incredibly beautiful, the most beautiful thing. And the disciples say, Jesus, check out, isn't this beautiful? And Jesus said to them, verse 2, do you see these great buildings? And then here's the word, here's the prophetic word. Not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Now, this actually happened. I mean, the Jewish people, this was the pride of the Jewish people, was this incredible, ornate, beautiful, radiant temple from anywhere. And Jesus said, in less than 40 years, well, he didn't tell them when, but it happened less than 40 years, about 37 years later, this temple would be destroyed. And then he says that these blocks, the rocks, there would not one rock be left on top of the other. Well, the way they built things and the way the temple was built is that each rock, and, it, and some of them were mammoth. The biggest ones on the bottom were 45 feet long. They were about 12 feet wide. These mammoth stones, they were quarried off-site and then brought in and put together like a jigsaw puzzle. There was no mortar even between the stones. These, this thing fits so well together. And Jesus tells them, not one stone is going to be left even atop another. Well, what happened about 37 years later, 70 AD, Titus came in as the leader of the Roman armies. They had laid siege to Jerusalem for over a year. They had Jerusalem blocked off. They could get no water. They could get no food. And people were starting to turn to cannibalistic kind of practices. And it was, it was ugly. And one of the, it says, Josephus says one of the drunken Roman soldiers got a lantern, threw it in the temple. The people had come in the temple for safety, security, and he threw it inside the temple and the whole thing, you remember the temple was basically cedar on the inside, built with cedar, overlaid with gold. The whole thing went up in flames. But what happened is all the ornate gold on the ceiling and on the sides, the outer sides of the building, that stuff melted in this murderous fire in which hundreds of Jews were killed who had taken refuge in the temple, that this, the, the, the gold melted and flowed down. And so when the Romans, after the fire was over, when they started taking apart the temple, started, started ransacking it, they got everything on the inside, all the beautiful things. But then they noticed that gold had gone down through even the rocks that were on top one over the other. And so they disassembled the entire edifice of the temple, rock by rock 
by rock to scrape out the gold that had gone through, that had melted and gone through the rocks. The very word, and I'm, I'm making a big deal about this because the very word that Jesus said, this is going to happen. It happened and it happened literally. It was fulfilled exactly like Jesus said it was. The implication is if he knew that, then what else he says in a prophetic way in the rest of the chapter, we've got to pay attention to. Are you with me? Four times in this chapter, he says, take heed to yourself. Be alert to yourself because these things are going to happen. But don't let it fear you. Don't let it freak you out. Don't let it mess you up. This has to happen. But take heed to yourself. Be careful. Be alert for these things. You know what? And the things we're going to read, these general things, they started back in Rome but they have intensified and intensified until our generation. I'm going to make a statement to you that you might think, oh, man, I got to check this one out. But our generation, and I'm going to actually say the generation that started in 1948, is the generation that is, that is more apt to see the fulfillment of everything that Jesus talked about in this chapter than any other generation that has ever lived. Why am I saying that? Two reasons. If you have any idea of biblical prophecy, what you, well, it, one of these things he's going to say is nation rising against nation. In Revelation, it talks about when one of the seals is opened toward the end of time. There's a whole prophetic view of what happens in the years, the seven years immediately preceding the return, the physical return of Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom. One of those things is that a fourth of the earth's population is wiped out in an hour. We are the only generation since the 50s that has seen the development of thermal nuclear capabilities. We now are the only generation that has seen one of the terrorist organizations, I'm speaking of the nation of Iran, their ayatollahs, that have said, we are enriching uranium. Now, they're not there yet, and Israel says we're never going to let Iran actually enrich to the point of being able to, to do a nuclear weapon. But they have begun the process of enrichment. The last administration in our government assisted Iran with, in ways, financial ways and other, to help them in the movement toward enrichment for supposed benevolent reasons energy production and all that. Well, here's what's happening is they are growing and growing towards enrichment of uranium to the point that they would be able to develop their own nuclear weapon. In no other generation have we seen two things that make this chapter, uh, we're getting close, guys. Those two things, one is the ability that people have to wipe out large portions large proportions of the population with the push of a button. Thermonuclear destruction. It can happen. And the stuff that they did, you remember back Hiroshima? You remember that? Into World War II, all this. You remember the testing in New Mexico? All of this stuff, that was just a starting point. They've now got things that are 40, 50, 100 times more powerful than Hiroshima. In the moment, life can change. We are the, the generation that is seeing that thermonuclear 
with the thermonuclear capabilities that nations have, in a moment, we could have a large-scale wipeout of a lot of people in this world. Now, we, we get into so distracted into just the way we live and the normals and all that stuff. It's like, ah, everything's the same. Tomorrow's going to be the same as today. Yesterday's the same as today, just not quite as much today and then the tomorrow. And, but all of us experienced two years ago, is it two and a half years ago? How it seemed like in a day, everything changed. Now, I don't know what you believe regarding the COVID-19, the whole thing. I tend to think that there is some intentional biological intent with the COVID-19 development and the letting it go. And I think it is a warm-up to what Jesus prophesied is going to come. But notice, from March, I think it was 17th of 2000, when we shut America down. Do you remember this? For two weeks that lasted how long? Well over a year. Almost two years that we shut it down. Well, two years, probably a year and a half. But in a day, our life changed. In a day, the supply chain changed. And how many of you are enjoying paying the gas prices that we've been paying in the last month? Isn't that exciting? Every time you fill up your pump, just remember, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And however long it takes you, don't look at the numbers that are going up to 100 bucks for your car. As that goes, pray. Well, what's a good prayer? How about the end of Revelation? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we're going to see that one of the things that he says is that the end won't come until the gospel has been preached in all nations, to all peoples. So how can you hasten the coming of the Lord? Well, share the gospel with everybody you see. Because that's one of the things that has to happen before his glorious return. And you're asking me, wait a minute, doesn't the rapture come sooner than that? Yeah. But this chapter is specifically about what's going to happen and lead up to that glorious return of Jesus Christ when it happens. The end of that prophesied book of Daniel, chapter 9, the prophesied last seven-year period of life as we know it on this planet ends with the return of Jesus Christ. Now, next week or next time when we get to verse 14, um, we're going to talk about that seven-year period specifically. But for the little time we have left, look at the flavor of what's going to happen. By the way, back this idea, because Jesus called this birth pangs in verse 8. He said these are the merely the beginning of birth pangs. Actually, let's read it. I'm going to tell you something, but it's going to come later, more later than sooner. Here we go. You don't know what I'm talking about. Just look at verse 3. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Now, the Mount of Olives is separated by the Temple Mount by what's called the Kidron Valley, a very small valley. The Mount of Olives elevates above the Temple Mount. So as he's on the Mount of Olives, and as they're looking back at the temple now, they are above the top of the temple. Okay, so as they're looking at this incredibly bright edifice that Herod has made so lavish, they're looking opposite the temple, three of the disciples, his inner three, Peter, James, and John, and then Andrew, who's the brother of Peter, were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? 
It's interesting. In Matthew chapter 24, when Matthew records the same incident and the same teaching on the Mount of Olives, that he adds, and when will all these things be fulfilled and what will be the sign of your coming again? So the whole context of the question is, Lord, you've just, you've just shocked us by saying the temple is going to be destroyed. Look at that temple. And Jesus gives them an answer that is from the destruction of the temple all the way until his second coming. Here we go. Here's, here's what uh, some of the things that are going to happen. Understand that as we go from verse 5 to verse 13, there are 10 specific things noted. We're going to fly through them. And Jesus began to say to them, verse 5, see to it that no one misleads you. In other words, be on the alert for yourself that nobody misleads you. Church, I'm going to tell you, be on the alert. Know this book, know the word, so that no one misleads you. It's deception. you got to realize that Satan, who desires to take us out, one of the ways he's going to deceive us is through religious deception. Through things that are kind of sound, kind of biblical, maybe using some of the names, the names have changed, but the characters are not the same, that using similar things, but coming with different conclusions. And here's what they all have in common. Jesus says he's the only way. False religion says Jesus is cool, but there are other ways. There is another way. And if it comes to that conclusion, understand we have been misled. See to it that no one misleads you. In other words, be smart. Don't be gullible. Pay attention. Many will come. Here's what I have as number one on my list. Many will come in my name saying, I am. Your version might say, I am he. Literally, in the Greek, many will come in my name saying, ego am I, which means I am. It's the thing that Jesus got in trouble in John chapter 8 for saying before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews that heard him say that understood, what are you talking about? You have taken upon yourself the memorial name of God. Do you remember as God met with Moses at the burning bush? I was going to say as God met with Noah at the burning bush and see if any of you were smart enough and picked out that. When God met with Moses at the burning bush and Moses said, who shall I tell them? Who shall I tell my people that has sent me? And he says, tell them that I am has sent you. Jesus borrowed the eternal name of the one true God when he said in John 8, hey, before Abraham, I am. He was claiming to be God. How do we know? Because they understood he was claiming to make himself God. They took up stones to stone him, saying, blasphemy, blasphemer, blasphemer. And they were wanting to kill him. Now, if I had been in that situation and I had been mis accused of blasphemy you know what i would have done no 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 you've misunderstood me but jesus didn't do that why because he was claiming to be god here's what the scripture says many will come and this has happened throughout all of the generations but it's going to happen more intensely before the coming of christ the second coming many will come in my name saying i am In other words, saying that I am divine, I am God. Do some of you remember about 25, 30 years ago, maybe a little bit more, there was an actress by the name of Shirley MacLaine who got into New Age movement. And she, I remember this so well. She was on the beach, waves crashing in the background. And she said, and she declares that I am God. 
that she believed that she had made touch with the divine inside, the divine spark, whatever it was inside of her, and that she had become God, and she was declaring, I am God. And you know what I say? Surely you're not. (laughs) You are not God. There is one, and you ain't it. But many, and all you have to do is look at the New Age movement today, which ain't isn't new age at all. It's old age couched in new garb, which says that we can make touch with the inner divine spark within us. Many will come saying, I am. And here's the hurtful thing. Many will come in my name, in the name of Jesus. And they'll pronounce this false, I am. I made touch with my divineness. Guys, that happens. You can look up, you can Google people who say that they're God. And I guarantee you, there will be lots and lots. It's happening today. Now, there's going to become one. The Bible defines him as the Antichrist. And guess what? Anti doesn't just mean against. It also means in substitution of. Christ means anointed one. He is going to claim himself to be God, anointed by God and a God. And he will seek people to worship him. We get that Next study in verse 14 and beyond. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. You know, it would be kind of nice if we could be God, wouldn't it? That's a very misleading thing. There's a whole religion that says if we live a, a, a worthy enough life here, that we'll be promoted to be a God in the next life. Right? That's, that's very appealing to some. And then, well, let's go on. Number two, verse seven, when you hear of wars... And rumors of more, don't be frightened. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, that's number two on my list. There's always going to be wars. There's always been wars. You could take a look geopolitically at any given time in history. And what do they say? That 11 out of every 12 days are days where somebody is at war with somebody somewhere in the world. In other words, there's always going to be that. But... Here it comes. Don't be frightened. Those things have to take place, but that's not yet the end. And then he goes on to say the bigger war. Verse 3, for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. You know, it wasn't until World War I that we saw nations actually coming strongly against other nations. We saw combined nations coming against other nations. When Israel declared itself a nation in May of 1948, the very next day, we had seven Arab nations that came together against Israel to try to wipe them off the face of the map. And God spared Israel. God miraculously delivered Israel above their enemies, defeated their enemies. But nation rising up against nation. In other words, this is large scale. And kingdom against kingdom. Now, it's really interesting because in the Greek language that Jesus is speaking, that Mark is relating, it also implies that there's a possibility that this could be talking about unrest within a nation. Not just nation A versus nation B, but nation A that has factions in it that divide the nation and they come against one another. Boy, I'm sure glad that our United States is so united that we have no warring factions within our own country, right? You're crazy, Mick. No, yeah, our nation is more divided now than I can ever remember it. 
carrying on because otherwise we won't get through my list. There will be earthquakes in various places. Well, there's always been earthquakes. Yeah, but when the coming of Christ gets nearer and nearer, guess what? Like labor pains, they're going to intensify. They're going to be big. They're going to be devastating. We have in Revelation chapter 6 where you have the opening of the six seals that begin that last seven-year period. They have, they have incredibly massive earthquakes. They're going to be earthquakes. When you hear about earthquakes, yeah, pray, but don't get troubled because these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Verse 9, be on your guard. And here's where the persecution is talked about. Be on your guard. And I want you to know this. This is what Jesus said is going to happen. It's going to happen more often and more intense the closer we get to his second coming. For they will deliver you to the courts. You will be flogged in the synagogues. It's really interesting to me that through the whole COVID stuff, that churches seem to have been singled out for a punitive punishment, damages, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, we could have Walmart open. We could have Home Depot open. We could have the marijuana shop open. But if the church opened up, you're in trouble. Churches are being singled out. Be on your guard. They're going to deliver you. You'll be flogged. That means beat with whips. Many of them experience that. It's going to get worse when the coming of Jesus happens before the coming of Christ. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. All the nations. Now Matthew chapter 24 adds this phrase, then the end will come. So the gospel, Christians standing up, being persecuted. Isn't it a wonderful verse when Peter writes, same guy that's in the three, that's in the four, that asked the question, when Peter writes, all those who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. So according to Peter, how many of you are going to suffer persecution? All of us. Get ready. Don't let that trouble you. That has to happen. When they arrest you, verse 11, and hand you over. Don't worry beforehand about what you're to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. The incredible promise, guys, that when we are standing before people who are accusing us and persecuting us, that God will speak through us. The message. Well, I would tell you this, know the message so that when the Holy Spirit energizes it to you, you'll be able to proclaim the message. Brother, verse 12, will betray brother to death. The family unit, even dissolving. And a father, his child, children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Now, this has the flavor even more so of the last seven years than the rest of this, these first verses because of the incredible prophecy about, about the, the attempted wiping out of Israel and Christians that happened in that what's called the tribulation period. You'll be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he'll be saved. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning to find out how you're going to be a target as Jesus is getting, his coming is getting close? But you need to know that. And there is comfort in the word of God. There is strength in the word of God. Guys, my time is gone this morning. But this only chapter, it just, this chapter only gets more exciting as we read it. And as we start it on the next study, when we pick this up, we're going to be looking at what begins 
and then all the way to the end of that last seven-year period that's commonly called the tribulation period. But guys, Jesus coming, I'm telling you, is getting closer, and the world's going to hate you the closer it gets. But in these doors, there's division and there's hatred, there's hostility, there's, there's darkness. But in the church, there's hope. We better be encouraging one another. We better be standing with one another, praying with one another, sharing hope with one another. That's what the church is for. Let's pray. Lord, as we end this, kind of like in the middle almost of a sentence, I just thank you, Lord, that you are, you've told us what's going to come. Prepare us, Lord, for what, what we will experience what we possibly, the difficulties we might grow through, go through and help us to stand for you, my Lord, that you would be glorified in whatever we do, that we would proclaim that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through you. Lord, we love you. We ask that you would work in our congregation to make us a lighthouse of your message proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen.